Welcome. I'm Kevin Miller, and this podcast is called Self Helpful because not all self help is helpful. I'm your curator, critic, and translator of the best and brightest minds in the self help world today. Connect with yourself to best connect with others. In my experience with myself and with other people, when we seek out another human, we do so generally like a heat-seeking missile. We just go after them. We seldom, if ever, stop and ask, what are we wanting from the interaction? Often it's merely transactional. Sometimes that's okay, in the workplace especially, but even then, whenever we want the best and most from someone, we will serve them and ultimately ourselves best if we connect with them. And we can connect best with them when we, again, pause for a moment and first connect with ourselves. How are we feeling right now about us? What are the emotions going on? It may be benign, may be good, or we may find that we have some negative emotions happening. We should check in with those first. How are we feeling about the person we're about to approach? What's our perspective on them right now? How are we feeling about them? What are we wanting from the interaction itself? So I'm back with Laura Tremaine. She's host of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast and author of her most recent book actually is The Life Council. That's what we talked about in part one together. The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. Obviously, I expanded on that past women. I think everyone needs it. As you heard us cover in part one, friendships are or can be a life source. Here we continue the conversation as I walk with Laura through her values, motives, and habits in the key areas of life fulfillment. And it's on the topic of relationships where Laura cites she works to connect with herself before she tries to connect with someone else. So we dig into that. We also cover some other topics. Spiritually, Laura talks about coming to Christianity and today fully embracing Jesus but not the religion of Christianity, which is hard for people to hold and I can relate to. In health and wellness, she says it's a challenge. She shares how she came to a place and realized she'd lived her entire life from the neck up and really has to work at caring for her body as she cares for her mind. And regarding mindset, I asked Laura where she needs to watch out most for herself. And she said she can tend to catastrophize everything. We cover other issues as well. Hey, on an interesting note, her husband, Jeff, is a television and film producer, director, and screenwriter, and is best known for co-creating the reality stunt show, Jackass, with Spike Jones and Johnny Knoxville. Pretty interesting. Friends, thank you for tuning in. This self-helpful podcast was founded through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. June 15 and 16 of 2023, I'll be in Dallas to attend and speak at the Coach Summit put on by Ziglar. If you are looking to influence people for the better professionally or personally, I invite you to join us. Go to Ziglar, Z-I-G-L-A-R.com slash Coach Summit. I would love to meet you there. This podcast exists to help you find and understand the guidance and counsel that will help you elevate your personal experience and the way you show up for others. Following these sponsors who help make the show possible and I think provide great resources for your life and mine, I bring you Laura Tremaine and a walk and talk through her values, motives, and habits. Again, you can find her podcast, 10 Things to Tell You, and her new book is called The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. And you guys out there, you do too.
I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Laura, first category here is spiritual. And it's been interesting, man. I, I have people here from all walks of lives and life and, and faith backgrounds. Um, now, I know you as, or know of you as a woman of faith. You're even with a Zondervan, which is my, I, I, that was, I lived in Nashville. I mean, that was the publisher in the Bible Belt of the South right there. So I know that's a big part of your life. Tell me what your primary values are as you think about your life spiritually right now? Well, it is a wandering path. I'm going to be honest with you. I grew up in a teeny tiny town in Oklahoma, you know, church on every corner type of place, but my parents were not religious. So I was Mm. in a heavily religious community growing up and had a, one of my best friends whose dad was a pastor. I started going to church with them on my own when I was in middle school, and that became a huge part of my life, but it wasn't driven from a family perspective, which was like a huge diversion from, you know, everything else in my community where I would be at church alone, basically, and I would sit with other families, but my parents weren't there. And I mentioned that because it's a huge part of my faith journey that I feel like I chose it Mm -hmm. very young and stuck with it, even though it was definitely not uh, the norm to be at church alone. My parents were very supportive. I do want to point that out. They drove me to church. They sent me to a summer camp that was very religious, like all of those things. They were very supportive, but it wasn't their belief system. And so that informed like the younger part of my life a huge amount. Like that was a huge part of my story. And then I moved right after college. I went to Um, University of Oklahoma. So I I went to my state school and then I moved to Los Angeles right after college. That is not the Bible Belt. Yeah. yeah, Everything changed. Everything changed. I mean, Los Angeles is spiritual in its own way. I actually do say that because I think 
other parts of the country think that it is like a wasteland here of spirituality. Bunch of heathens and, over there in California. Yeah. That is not true. It's just very different mm-hmm. here. And, you know, th- that changed my life a lot. That changed my spiritual path a lot. My eyes were opened. I had not, before I moved to California, known anyone of any other religion besides Christianity. Literally not known anybody. Obviously, I'd known people who were agnostic, like not Christian. And then I had known a lot, a lot, a lot of evangelical Christians. And then I moved here and I was, you know, suddenly my eyes were open to a lot of different world religions and um, ways to play out your faith and ways to pray and all of these things. And that was 20 plus years ago now. So I want to say that that was eye-opening, but it was also a long time ago when I was young and it was really formative. So you know, since then, I have been on a meandering path. I guess I will say I pray every day. I hold really tight to a connection to something larger than me, than all of us. And, you know, that matters to me. That's a big part of my life. But I I don't really fall um, into a traditional space, even though I did publish with a faith publisher. They've been very good to me. They were very open-hearted with the message that I wanted to impart. They let me say what I wanted to say, even though in my first book, especially, um, I said some hard things about those church years. And yeah, I've been super happy with they let me write what I wanted to write, but they, they were the best publisher for me at the time, for sure. I'll ask this in a way, I actually heard it from Donald Miller. You know, you know, Don? I do. And the last time he was on the show and we talked about this, he said, but kind of along your lines, kind of a wandering, meandering path, but he says, I still primarily identify with a Christian type faith. Would you put yourself in that category? It feels really weighted in this moment because it's hard. It has been hard for me. I have struggled with this. I don't know if anyone else relates to this, but I think they might. It has been hard for me to separate American cultural Christianity with Jesus. Amen, sister. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, you're asking if you give, you know, if I give myself that label, and I really don't anymore. But again, it has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with what that carries and the things about it culturally that I don't identify with at all and that I want to separate myself from. And so I haven't, you know, called myself Christian in a long time, but it's it's complicated to say that because, you know, then people immediately write you off. Oh, well, you're not? Well, then... I can't listen to you. I can't be friends with you. I can't, whatever, if you don't carry that label. Um, but I don't eschew that label totally either because of Jesus. No, I, uh, Laura, I'm I'm literally in whatever meandering place that is and with you because on the other side, if you claim Jesus, then, oh, then you're a Christian. Well, no, but Jesus. And so, yeah, and there's not a, there's a podcast I need to, to figure out who it was again that I listened to with a group of guys. One guy said, you got to listen to this. We're going to talk about it on Friday when we meet. And uh, I can't remember who the guy's name is. Some mega church 
pastor who had left it and whatever. And he talked about when you have those clear containers of religion, let's say, that they're clear. And when you then leave or abandon, reject, whatever, those containers, it's really hard to say what it is. So, mm-hmm. so, so even that say, now I don't really align with Christianity, the American, you know, the religious, but I do with Jesus. There's not, we don't, we need to, con- well, I don't know. I was gonna say we need a container. Maybe we don't, but it's really hard to describe, isn't it? It's a, it's a, yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to minimize these other influences that I've had in living in like a major city with lots mm-hmm. of faith traditions and lots of different dear, dear friends who have taught me about their own religion or their own spirituality, um, those things have seeped into my belief system also, and they definitely don't square with modern American Christianity. And so, and those things have come to really matter to me a lot. And so it's like a hodgepodge of, of faith happening over here, but I, I cling to a spiritual element. I I have like rituals that I do, you know, for myself that I made up. Some of them I made up when I was a child back in the days when I didn't have like formal guidance. Yeah. Um that have really informed a ton of my life and and really matter to my heart and spirit, but it's really complicated to put it into words. I I yeah, we could make the rest of the show about that. So tell me about the rituals though. I mean, that's the habit so that you have a, a spiritual component. It's important to you. You said you, you know, pray every day or consistently, but then what are the habits that you employ to, as we talked about in the first show to maintain that relationship? Well, a habit is I've gotten very into meditation. That's become part of my morning routine. I love it. It is very good for me, from a mental health standpoint, I've had a lot of anxiety my whole life. Meditation has really taught me to calm my busy brain that really gets on a loop when I'm having an anxiety spiral. The other thing that I do that's more of a ritual and less of a habit, which I know these words, they're not totally interchangeable, but... Uh, no, I, I appreciate them. This is more of a almost like ritual for myself is that when I first wake up in the morning... I do, I guess it would be, I've never had to define it like this, maybe like a gratitude prayer. Like I sort of meet with the day with prayer, always. Like it's natural, it's instinctual. I wake up and I just try to sort of fill my heart with like a moment of gratitude, with what I want the day to be. The buzzword around that now would be like setting an intention, but I've been doing this long before I was setting an intention. Like I was more just uh, meeting the day in sort of a posture of prayer, honestly, like communing with something larger than myself. If I don't do that, I start the day reaching for my phone or my brain starts going like something that I'm nervous about that day, something that I need to do on the to-do list that's a daunting task. Like my brain just starts going in this way that is not like super, super negative, but like anxious. And I cannot greet the day that way. I cannot. I have to greet the day with um, more of an expansive moment. And then 
now that I'm speaking it out loud, I realize I also do it to a different extent at night, and I do it out loud to my husband. So this is sort of ritualistic. Okay. It also a teeny tiny bit drives him crazy, and I don't care. <laughs> I do it every single night. As I'm getting in bed, I <laughs> I say I say out loud to my sweet husband, who's usually already in bed. I'm like, "Don't we love the kids so much?" <laughs> and he's like, "We love the kids." And then I'm like, "Don't we just have the most beautiful home?" And he'll be like, "Love our house, <laughs> whatever." And I go through our kids. Our this is funny, but our kids, our home, and our dogs. And I just say that out loud to my husband every night. Don't we just like love this? And he says it back to me because he's a good man. And then I, and he's like kind of rolling his eyes. I don't care. It's for me. I need to like literally say out loud this moment of like, we love our kids and our home and our dogs. And I get in the bed and I feel like now I can rest. (laughs) I've never said any of that out loud before. No, it's inter- That's so interesting. It's really funny too. Because I, I, I could picture it. I got the sitcom picture in front of me of him going, that's really sweet. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? <laughs> Every night. He usually has his phone up. You know, he's whatever. He's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Love the kids. Yeah, they're whatever. great. They're great. Just keep them out of the bedroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's okay. So it's interesting as you talk about spiritual that more, not more. You almost, well, you you almost spoke more to a a belief or or a faith. You almost spoke to the mental aspect, which is one of our categories here. So I'll just go right into that, uh, is mind and mental health. And I like to even say the mental state. So your spirituality is really connected to your ongoing conscious and subconscious, whatever, mental state. And you talked about... Mm -hmm. Yeah, meditation. And so is, is anxiety, is that your is that your default mode if you're not present? Not as much right now. I've done a lot of work in the last like 10 years to calm my anxious self. But when I was a kid... I was very anxious, and I write about this a little bit in my first book. I, you know, We would treat this differently now with kids showing these same symptoms than we did in the 80s when I'm I was sure. a kid. But, like, I pulled my hair out till uh, I was – I had bald spots. I re- you know what, Laura, let me ask – because I read that in your book, and you mentioned that. And then a page or two later, you mentioned – you say, I came from a uh, – I can't remember how you said it – you know, a loving – you know, core family. And yet I'm thinking, yeah, but over here, you're pulling your hair out. So what's up? So yeah, keep telling. I mean, I think it is genetic, honestly, because I don't think it was circumstantial. I had very loving family. I had a great community. You know, my parents were healthy and had stable jobs and like all the things of that would be a steady childhood. Those pieces were in place. And yet, I, at a very young age, like, catastrophized everything. I thought we were always going to die. Like, at any moment, I thought some tragedy was going to happen at all times when I was very young. And I pulled my hair out, and I had a lot of fear. I had a lot of what we would now call very clearly sensory issues. We didn't call it back then 
you know, anything, but, you know, I didn't want tight clothing. I couldn't eat certain foods. This is all sensory stuff that we just talk about and parent differently in everything now. And learning at that age to cope with those things and, you know, without medication, without any intervention, without any guidance on them. Yeah, it's a huge part of my life. And as an adult, it looks a little bit different. You know, I feel like I had some postpartum stuff and I had, you know, there's just things that happen in life. So I don't want to say your question was, is it my default? Absolutely, it used to be. And I'm like sort of happy to say right now that it is not anymore, but it took a lot of work to get it to a place where it's not my default. If I let all the wheels fall off, yeah, then maybe it would be again. I don't know. I feel like a different person than I was 10 years ago in this realm. And it's funny that you mentioned it's tied to my spirituality because I do think it is. Because when I was younger, without any tools and figuring out my own coping skills, church and prayer and clinging to to that side um, of what I believed back then to be like a God who knows everything, that gave me a lot of comfort. And that did become part of, you know, maybe my psyche or or who... I am, but I haven't always tied them together necessarily. Anxiety is a mental health thing. Spirituality is spirituality. Not that they can't intermingle, but because they do intermingle. But as I'm talking it through, I want to stay aware of what the differences are. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths, according to the EPA the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best. Air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. 
Air Doctor, it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Is that as you look towards your daily mental work, so you talked about meditation, you talked about, you know, just spirituality amongst that. Anything else that you do habitually, ritualistically to help, help you be where you want to be so that you're not fault. So the wheels aren't coming off. Great term to use there. Well, the other most important piece is journaling. I'm a big believer in journaling. I saw that. Is that a part of your offering even somewhere? I saw that you've got a, no, it's on your website, isn't it? Isn't one of the, it's one of the navigation tabs on your website, isn't it? Uh, Well, I have a class called journaling for grownups. Maybe 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 you saw saw that. Okay. Maybe so. I also journal live with people on Instagram. I do these, I call them journal parties where I like lead a guided (laughs) journal session together because a lot of people think of journaling as like something that teenage girls do when they're feeling like they want to cry or something. They have no idea what adult journaling can be, how it can be like healing and, you know, add to your growth and all of these things. People also have a lot of fear around journaling. They don't want to write down their ugly thoughts or their hard stuff, to which I always say, then you're going to throw it away. We do not have to keep our journals in like a beautiful keepsake box. We can write down our hard stuff and then we can rip that sucker out and throw it away. What is helpful about the journaling is the writing, is getting it out of our mind and heart onto the page. You do not have to keep it. You do not have to write in a pretty journal. All of these ideas that we have about journaling, I just try to dismantle in order to teach people how writing something down is communing with yourself or God. It is spiritual. It is. It also doesn't have to be spiritual. It can just be helpful to sort of see patterns, to articulate what you're really feeling. Like you might just have the swirls of feelings and when you write it down, you, you it hits differently when you see it on the page written in your own handwriting. I mean, there's so we could literally talk about this for an hour. I care so much about journaling, and I do that as it is spiritual. I don't think of it as a spiritual practice, but it is, I suppose. Like, I it's it's mostly personal growth for me, but I guess that is spiritual in a certain sense. Uh, yeah, and I'm curious. I I have generally always journaled. I've gone through dry seasons, but it used to be it started off in my youth as just journaling the day's events. And then later on, my ideas, thoughts and ideas, that was mainly it. And then I realized I was never, well, I never shared my feelings anywhere to anyone in any format. Um, and so I started doing that, sharing 
journaling feelings. And that has been more as of late is journaling those. And, and for me, it is an outlet. I want to uphold it and say it's, it's great to get it out there, though sometimes, and I'll ask your opinion since I've got you here, sometimes I wonder if I'm doing that and I should be having a conversation with somebody. Am I copping out there? But Because uh, a lot of times it's, it's kind of the writing letters in your head that you don't ever say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what the topic is, but is having a conversation with someone about whatever this hard thing is that you're writing down, would it be for you or for them? And that's what you'd have to ask yourself. Good, like, good question. If you're in a struggle with your spouse, does it make you feel better to just write down that you're frustrated and that this is annoying and this problem keeps coming up? Sometimes that's all you need to do is just like write it down mm -hmm. and like get it out and just be like, it's sort of acknowledging, ugh, this is hard. If you had yet another conversation with your spouse, would it really, you know, give you any movement? Would it really like help anything? Would it just be rehashing something that you just have to work through? Like, it's different if you're in a space where you're needing to offer an apology or mm -hmm. share, you know, a previously unspoken feeling. That can be helpful. But I, I don't know that in, in conversation your, is always the answer. In your journaling that you do for your own, you know, benefit, are you generally trying to reconcile the feeling? I have a few ways that I journal, like a few ways that I come at it. There's documentation journaling, which where I'm writing down, I don't want to forget that this happened. So after I have a good conversation, yeah. I will often write like things that were said in this conversation, you know, <laughs> and I write them down. If I go on a, on a vacation with my family, I will write at the top of the journal page, things I want to remember about this trip. And then I will just bullet list things I want to remember about the trip, things my kids said, things that we did, meaningful conversations, whatever. That's documentation journaling. The other kind of journaling that I do, I actually have four different types, but the other kind that's the most important is I can't always figure out how I feel until I write it. Yeah. So this is true when I'm writing for the public, like when I'm doing a, a blog post or a Instagram caption or a book, sometimes I'm not sure until I write it. I kind of have to write my way into making sense of, of this concept or this thought. Same is true in a journal sense when it's just for me. I might write down like, I have just been so sad and I'm not sure why, let's say. And so then I need to sort of write down, well, I'm kind of sad about this and I'm a little bit sad about this other thing. And writing through it makes me realize like, oh, I'm like medium sad about five different things. So that's sort of adding up to a lot of heaviness for me right now. And I might not would have put the pieces together until I had seen it on the page. Like I knew I was a little sad about one thing. And so I'd be like, well, that's not, I'm not that sad about it. Like mm -hmm. I talk myself out of it. When you see things on the page, we just process them differently. It's And so for me, I'm journaling not to reconcile it, as you ask, but to answer myself, like to figure it out. Like I am, I 
this is a real a real technique people can use. If you aren't sure how you feel about something, right at the top of the page, why am I sad? <laughs> or whatever, you know, right? Like, why can't I do this thing I want to do? Whatever, if you can't figure it out for yourself. Some of us, me included, I'm not going to think it to completion. I cannot come to the conclusion just by thinking. I have to either talk it through, which is why I'm a podcaster. I love to verbally process with friends or on the microphone. But if it's a private thing, I need to write it down until I get there. And sometimes I will not even realize that I thought something until it is on the page. Now, it's not all magic and light bulb moments. I do not think that every time you're going to journal, you're going to be like, have a revelation because it's a little bit cumulative of writing down your feelings or processing, you know, for a bit until you, until you have that, that aha moment. Well, I'm with you in that I, I'm an internal processor and I write things out to figure out what I think to figure out what I feel. And I know not everybody's like that. My wife specifically, she's an external, she wants to talk it out, which I, if I start talking, I tend to lose my, and I can talk about on a topic and like what we're talking here and think through stuff, but on something that I'm really feeling, I mean, we're talking about ideas and concepts, but it's something I'm really feeling. I, I got to step back for me and, and write that out. I guess somebody, it is anybody ever, is there such thing as an you know, uh, auditory journaling. I mean, I guess you could use today's apps and do, if you're an external processor and do your journal auditorially, talk into yep. it, think through it and then save that. And you've got an auditory, I've never really heard of that. I'm sure people do it, but um, I could understand that. I uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know about the journaling depth of that. So they can, that's literally a resource. So to go to your website, lauratremaine.com and it's, what is it again? What was the, what was the product? That- the class is called class. Journaling for Grownups. Journaling for Grownups. Okay. And then right. I also do these journal parties where I guide the, you know, they're like guided meditations, but yeah, really that's guided what I was thinking journaling. Of, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Those are called journal parties on Instagram. Journal party. Okay. Instagram, which is, what's your Instagram feed? It's um, Laura.Tremaine. Laura.Tremaine. And folks, that's T-R-E-M-A-I-N-E. All right. There you go. Relationships is the next category, which that degree, it's what your book is about. That's what you're about is about relationships. And we just, you know, of course, in part one talked about friendships. So it's almost an odd question to ask you, but it's still going to be, you know, what are the highlight because you've got lots of values and so, but when you look at your relationships today in your personal evolution, the thing that you say, guess this is the highlight value or three or whatever that you think of when you look at your relationships and the relationships you want to have? Well, this is one of my top five and we haven't talked about it yet. So I'm going to talk about it because I think it's so important. One of my top five friendship philosophies, but this is true in all relationships. So relationship philosophies is believe the best Believe the best in other people. I think we default to thinking not the worst of people, but we second guess or, you know, we have a lot of doubt. Our insecurities come to play. This happens for me where like, 
I talked myself into thinking, oh, are they mad at me? They're not texting me back. They must secretly hate me. <laughs> um, girls, women that were once girls maybe learned early on that girls often talk behind each other's back in a really mean way. And we have a lot of wounds from that. That's that's not to be trivialized. We have a lot of wounds for that, women do, from the earlier part of our life. And so then as we're older, we immediately fall back into, oh, is someone talking about me? Is someone leaving me out? Is someone secretly mad at me? A lot of those things come to the surface. And I have to train myself as a friendship, relationship philosophy to believe the best in others. I have to believe that they have good intentions, that nobody's trying to trick me or sabotage me or be mean to me. And I want them to believe the best about me because I'm a good person and I'm not trying to trick anyone or sabotage anyone. And if I didn't text you back, it's just because I got busy or whatever. It's not because I secretly hate you. So why do our own minds go to that place? Even, even in my marriage or with other family members, I have to believe the best about them because otherwise there's a constant tension. So if you start a hard conversation not believing the best about someone, so you need an apology or you need to offer an apology or whatever it is. If you start that conversation, not from a place of believing the best, if you start from a place of you know, defensiveness or suspicion or something, that there's something nefarious always going on, then that conversation's probably not going to go great. It's too big of a hurdle for other people to convince you that they love you. Yeah. It's too big of a hurdle. You have to start from a place of believing they want the best for you because you want the best for them. Of course, in life, there are people who prove out to not want the best. And that happens. But I don't think that's the vast majority of us and in our chosen relationships. I don't think that's the vast majority. I think that's the exception. And so if you can start from the place of believing the best and believing that they believe the best about you... It's just a higher vibration. It's just a better way to walk in the world to train our own crazy brains to believe the best. And so that is one of my biggest friendship values. And I have to work at it. It's Well, it's huge. You're talking about motive. And we so tend to assume people's motives especially in our fear and anxiety. I do for sure. And, and I do want to point out, I mean, that's right. Part one of your book. And I had written it down the five friendship philosophies. And that was number, that's the second one that you have down friendship. is a, a to-do list, which you talked about in part one, number two, believe the best. And then I'll go ahead and read that. Number three is, is just go meaning like, just go do it. Say yes. That for me, that was, yes, it was a, the old Jim Carrey movie. Yes. Yes, man. Uh, which I, I'm, I'm not, I'm the no guy. And so I got to say that. Uh, and then uh, like every selfie, which was, how, how do we paraphrase that? Just applaud your friends. Yeah. yeah. All right. And intense, but your spouse is not your best friend, which we started off the show with, but those five friendship philosophies are in part one of the book. So I wanted to pull that out. So for you to say that that's a primary value in relationship is to believe the best 
And can I say not assume the other person has a negative motive ultimately in what they're doing um, is huge. So how do you, so when I, when you look at relation, I I do want to ask this because it's a premise of your book and this message that we talked about in part one too, that when you look at your relationships, I, I don't really even have to ask, you know, what are you doing then? What are your habits to walk those out? Because you write about that in the book and it is your Gosh, well, I assume then the first one for you is the to-do list. You put yes. them on there just as prioritizing your life, budgeting your time, whatever. It's, you talked about this in the book. It is text this person, go check out this person's Instagram feed, call this person, have lunch with this person. Yeah? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I have to remind myself to do those things because I don't do them naturally, which we talked about in in the first part. And so that is a high value. Can I also say that another value here and how I live this out in my relationships and what I really talk about a ton on my podcast is you have to connect with yourself first before you can really connect with others. So this is why I go into all the introspection and the journal prompts and all the things that I talk about in that way. It's not navel gazing and it's not selfish or narcissistic even though the internet would lead us to believe that. If we are not looking inward, we absolutely cannot be our best selves on the outside. We can't be the best friends that we want to be. We can't walk in the world the way we want to if we are not doing regular self-examination. And so people who are feeling lonely, which is a big thing we've been talking about, and feeling like they don't know how to connect with others or they're not connecting the way they want to with others, all of those things, not in a shame-filled way, but in a factual way, you have to go inward and look at what is happening there. It's not the whole rest of the world. If you're not connecting with someone, it's not that the whole world is disconnected. If you aren't connecting with yourself and sort of seeing your own patterns, habits, flaws, strengths, It makes it almost impossible to connect with others. In fact, if you do connect with others, it might just be on accident. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you're trying to be intentional about it and hold up a value, I mean, you can't even name your values if you don't do some self-reflection. But I feel like introspection, it gets a bad rap because people think all energy should be sort of focused outward. We want to have giving and generous spirits. Of course we do. But... I think some of that gets lost in middle age. So that's why I talk about journaling for grownups. That's why I talk about like having these conversation starters of things that in some ways can be a little bit juvenile. We don't talk about friendship in adulthood very often because we feel like we got all that maybe sort of taken care of when we were young. A lot of the things that I talk about are things that we, that maybe came from earlier parts in our life. We have to reconnect with them as adults. That aspect of connecting with yourself first, when I think about the relationships in my life, I play in this mental image of before I walk in the room to my best friend, to my spouse, to my kid, to whatever, how interesting would that be to connect with myself and also to say, and what am I wanting out of this? Why am I walking in there? I'm walking in there because I'm thinking most of the time it's because I need something. I'm going in there to get something filled and then to question, is that fair to them? Is that something I should be getting filled from myself, God, or whatever it may be? That would be 
how powerful would that be to have that? You can see the movie scene where it's a thought bubble that pops up. This is, Hey Kevin, what are you walking in for? What are you going in there to need? Because you enter a room differently when you are feeling connected to yourself. Totally. You enter every conversation. You turn on this mic different. Everything that you do, if you are just staying sort of conscious, feels different when you are mindful. I have lived a lot of my life not that. (laughs) Like, I have lived a lot of my life on autopilot not wanting to look inward, not wanting to feel my feelings. A lot was was uh, kept on the surface for me, probably because of my anxiety, like to come back to that, mm-hmm. probably because feeling my feelings was way too hard for a really long time. And I bought into these ideas that journaling and self-examination and introspection was, you know, for people who were just self-obsessed or something like that. I didn't let myself realize that I had to connect with myself first before I was going to show up in the world the way that I want to. And once I did that, which is pretty recent for me within the last decade, I feel like it changed my marriage for sure. It changed my work and professional life. Absolutely. And it also changed my friendships and, you know, all of my relationships, my relationships with my family of origin, all of the things that I was, you know, grasping for connection or understanding or belonging. And I, I was doing that from a place of not even like connecting with my own self and what I wanted and who I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm just enamored with that now of thinking about what I what I'm looking for out of every engagement, if I, if we would ask ourselves that, I, you know, it's interesting during this talk with you because something you said, I wish I could cite it right now, but I, I I wrote down for myself, Laura, that I am I feel like I'm most me here on these shows. I love that. Well, and I didn't think about why I didn't write down why, but now as you say that, I wonder, it's cause I, I'm not, I, I don't need anything. I, I probably have need from everybody. I sit down with a kid, best friend. I mean, there's, there's often a need some more or less. I mean, my, my best friend is, I, I have a best friend and he, he's, I probably most, most myself there, but my spouse, I mean, there's always some, you know, some need in there. And when I'm doing this, I'm here just to, just to connect with you and have a great discussion and talk authentically about a a topic that matters. And I'm not thinking about, I'm not even aware of a need that I have that makes sense because I, I, that I feel most me without a need. How interesting is that? So how would that feel if all of your interactions in the day had that energy? Like it would change your day. Change my, it would, yeah, it would change my relationships. Yeah. yeah, dramatically. Okay, we're in way too deep of water. I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> it's so terrible to go on. We can, we that's like okay. We just got to go into a dark corner and think for a while. I got to go journal, Laura, on that one. I'm not going to get anywhere. You, okay, that's significant. Hmm. 
We might have to talk more on that one. Uh, I do want to ask about health and wellness as that's a primary category here that when you look at your own health and wellness, the reality of it, pursuit of it, whatever, what, why, what are the values? Well, that's a deficit in my life. And that's a weakness in my life in the last few years. I had never until I had kids and my oldest is 13, I had never prioritized health or my body. Now, obviously, that was a privileged place to be. I was generally healthy and um, and didn't feel like I needed to. And then when I had my daughter, I had some complications that really affected my body. And I went to Pilates for the first time. So, and it was like a one-on-one class. And it was when I was in my early 30s. This was the first time that I had really thought about, I mean, I had been noticing that my body wasn't quite working right, but it was the first time that I had looked at it. Uh, My Pilates instructor was having me do some general sort of exercises, sort of our very first class together. And I was working a muscle, like moving a muscle, so much so that it was shaking. Like, you know, I was I was really, yeah. and I could not feel it at all. I was so numb. I was having such a, and not numb in a medical sense, like I was having a mind-body disconnection. I had really, I just lived in my brain yeah. all the time. My body was just the thing that got me from A to B. That started a whole journey for me, mostly through Pilates. But then after that, I started going to therapy for some emotional stuff. All of these things worked together, and it was not a coincidence. When I started trying to change my health and my uh, my physical body, it made me want to change some things about my relationships in my life and whatever. So I started going to therapy when I was also working on my body. That was not super conscious, but looking back, absolutely not a coincidence. I think those things were working hand in hand to make me healthier and better. So that was sort of throughout my 30s, and I really got into that. And then what happened? The pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. The pandemic hit. I stopped doing the workouts that I had been doing that had really transformed me. And I started living in my head again. And I feel like only... Now, I mean, now as recording time, like within the last, I don't know, month, maybe. I'm have, not sure I understand. <laughs> Is that Siri talking to us? Siri popped up. Um, <laughs> There's live podcasting for you. I'm not, I'm not even going to edit that out. Hi, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> but only in the last like month have I started to realize like, oh, I have gone back to this place where I'm like living from the neck up. My brain is so busy, like I was saying. My uh, habits have changed. Like, I eat for um, comfort in a way that is, that's fine sometimes, of course, but like in a way that has sort of not brought me what I wanted from, you know, I haven't gotten the comfort that I wanted out of it. Uh, It's just been, I feel like, it's really hard to just nail it in all the ways. Like you can nail it in your work 
and in parenting and in health and in spirituality, but maybe you can't do them all at the same time. And for me, I that's the thing that has um, gone to the wayside. And, you know, that's a bad thing. Like, I know I'm realizing I'm saying it like it's a not a good choice, but it's I'm just being honest about where I am. No, it's uh, so uh, you have me think about a default again. So in default, when things get left behind, like I'm going to, when things get tough or I get overwhelmed or whatever, there's certain things that are going to fall by the wayside. Like for me, finances, I don't enjoy dealing with that anyway. So it's just, it's going to go down there. And I think for a lot of people, it could be spirituality or whatever that you're saying. Yeah. The health and wellness, the living from the neck up is really interesting. I think that's a propensity we can all have, especially because of the privilege, as you talked about that we have in our culture that where we can exist and survive just from the neck. We don't have to really tend to the body, um, but to thrive, we do. So if that's something that's, so it sounds like we're catching you right at that time now, are you looking at it and going, okay, I want to employ some new habits, some new structure, new priorities, we're back to priorities, I guess. So I've already started to make those changes, but for me, this is very vulnerable, this body stuff. And I don't mean like body image or how the world feels about my body or whatever. It's not It's not that side of it. Although as a woman in America in 2023, that is a side of it. Sure. But that's not the primary thing. You know, for some people, the work that I do, journaling and introspection, that is so vulnerable to them to, to go inward like that or to have hard conversations. That just is exhaustingly vulnerable. That is not that vulnerable to me. That is where I thrive is in uh, introspection and and spirituality, body stuff, health stuff is vulnerable to me. Working out, I cry every time. I cry. It is a very weird, it is a very weird thing because I know that that's not like how everybody feels about uh, connecting to their body, but it feels so vulnerable to me to be in my body. I would like rather be in my head. I'm better at being in my head. That's just so interesting. I mean, you got, I'm sure you're asking yourself that too, but I'm wondering why, what is that? Is it, is it a, you talked about that first Pilates thing of a disconnection that you don't connect well. Cause I'm, th- I'm thinking about myself all of a sudden of where do I, if I look at these main characters, where do I not connect well, I'm probably most vulnerable with finances. Mm. Um, it's something I've sabotaged so often. I don't like numbers. I don't understand it. My best friend that we talked about, in, or one of my best friends in, in part one, the mountain bike guy, he's a high end financial advisor. I mean, he just money is just, you know, it's like the back of his hand. And I just, I don't speak that language at all. So to talk about it, we don't, I don't do shows on finances because I, I just, I couldn't, I, Real vulnerable, and so if you but to have a disconnection somewhat and feel vulnerable, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that for one. But that's I think it's uh, I've never talked about this. I also I don't do podcast episodes about uh, health or exercise or anything for the same reason that yeah. you're saying. Like, yeah. I feel like mm, it's like hard to articulate, but it almost feels like 
I am so physically weak. So just like genetically, like my, you know, we don't, we're not muscly. I'm not a muscly family or whatever. I am a very weak person, sort of like naturally, like my body type or whatever, I guess I should say. So when I do something, it doesn't make me feel strong in my body. It makes me feel extra weak. It highlights the weaknesses there. Whereas I have friends who, when they work out or whatever, it makes them feel empowered and strong and powerful. And I'm like, no, it doesn't for me. It makes me feel really weak. And that makes me want to cry because, you know, who wants to feel weak, you know, in any any capacity? Um, Even if like logically, I'm like, well, you can just make yourself stronger or whatever. But like, it's not that it's not. It speaks to me of, yeah, where we feel, oh, you said weak, but where we feel competent and none of us, I think are thrilled to step into an area where we feel incompetent. I can even look at something where I, where I'm not used to it. Like I I mentioned, you know, going surfing. So I'm not a water guy so much. And I just like a fish out of water, you know, pun intended. It was terrible. But I'm, I'm a very, I, I'm a very, I mean, I've been an athlete all my life. And so the physicality of it, whatever, that was fine. I'm not going to die or drown or whatever, but to put me over in an area where I'm, I'm really, I don't feel competent in any way, shape or form. I, I really just, I'd rather not do that. And so if you're saying that's how you feel with that, it makes, that makes sense, which I, I will offer at my first thought there, my best friend, Doctor, Dr. Randy James, a lot of people know him. He co-hosts a lot of shows. And his answer to the consummate question of, okay, Dr. James, what's the best exercise? And he'll say, man, whatever you'll keep doing. Doesn't matter. And generally, it's whatever you can find, it's just fun. Don't think of it as exercise. If you enjoy playing pickleball or whatever, that's the craze these days, you know, or you enjoy just uh a bird walk to notice the birds and it has you walk and you're not thinking about the exercise, you're thinking about the thing. Um, eh, something to think about for you to think about the, something that would just be a joy and not to think about it as exercise. Uh, well, it's scary to talk to an athlete about how weak and disconnected from my body. I feel I, but I, get, no, I great, I, fair, but I, I, I get it. I get it. Just, that's why I brought up, you know, like finances or whatever, the areas that I feel that I don't, I, I often find myself in places where I feel in conversations, especially in places where I feel incompetent or my gosh, how about in the therapist and with marriage counseling and talking about my feelings, my, my feeling. I mean, that's been, that's been my journey. My first book that was recommended was Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. Okay, this, mm-hmm. These are emotions, Kevin. There's more than two. It's actually 87, according to Brene. <laughs> Gosh darn her. And uh, yeah, it, I just, that's not my, man, I, just, I don't have a file. I have not had a file. I'm trying to grow one. So I can commiserate with you on that one. Uh, in that realm of health and wellness, on the nutritional side, is there anything there that you try to adhere to? with yeah food and nutrition no not to adhere to i mean i live in los angeles which is like the land of all the juice bars (laughs) (laughs) i've not heard that before but that's funny and i grew up in oklahoma in a place that is like straight meat and potatoes so that has been a thing 
that I've had to reconcile in, you know, the last two decades. And then as I had children, of course, it's like teaching myself how to eat and that I do default to the foods of my childhood, which are definitely not healthy, but yummy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a thing. And I, you know, I've talked about on my own show, I've talked about this a lot and that in this season, my husband's a, a movie director and he he's making a lot of movies. I've been launching a book. We have been in just a total work mode and have not, to put it mildly, have not prioritized nutrition. And we have just fed ourselves and our children with whatever is easily available. And we both feel that is a thing that we really want to change for all kinds of reasons, like for our body, for our finances, for all the things that is not the best way to live. But it goes back to what I said earlier of like, of all the things that you're picking to prioritize in your life, Health is what falls by my wayside, even though, of course, I understand why that should not be the answer, but that is the answer. Yeah. Well, thanks for the candor. <laughs> we, all, we all have our areas. I do keep thinking about uh, every state has their slogan, you know, of land of many uses. I think that's New Mexico, land of many uses. That should be California's land of juice bars. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of that, of your book and your podcast and your husband's work. That's the next category is work and career and business. And as you look at that, what would you say as most people I have on the shows, they got a lot going on, probably more and more all the time, more opportunity, more things calling to them. So when you look at that and have to step back, okay, what do I value here? And I like that in regards to what am I going to say yes to say no to, you know, whatever. So what do, what, what are the values that rise to the surface for you in regards to your career? I mean, like, I feel like all of these questions have had a meandering journey. When I was just starting out, you feel like you have to say yes to everything. You want all the opportunities. Um, you're excited to be, like, sort of recognized to have these opportunities. You want your work to, you know, be supported and all of those kind of things. And then in the last little while, I have felt less like I was trying to prove something. Like, I feel like I got to a little bit at a place in my career where I feel like, oh, I'm good at this. I'm a professional at this. I know what I'm talking about and know what I'm doing. And that feels so different in my work. And it changes what the values are. Because if you start from a place of where the value is, like, say yes as much as you can, like, climb the ladder and hustle and do the work and all of those things, which was a season that I had to be in. I wasn't going to get here without that season. Now I'm in a different season. My kids are 13 and 11. I've started to realize like, I just have a few more years with them under my roof. That has completely changed my yeses, you know, has completely changed my, um, the, the values that I put on my time have really changed. Last year, when I was writing this book, The Life Council, I paused my podcast. And a lot of people 
said something to me at the time because my podcast was doing really well. It's the primary way I make money, actually. That was my biggest source of income was was my podcast. So to put it on pause to write this book, when I explained it on my show, this is what I'm doing, it was because I could do both of these things. Like I could podcast and write a book and all the things. But right now, I would just rather drive my daughter to volleyball. Hmm. And that means I can only, you know, have five hours in my work day instead of eight or whatever. And because I have to, you know, leave to, to do the family life thing. And I'm going to choose that right now. And I, I took a year, I wrote a book, I brought the podcast back. Now I'm talking about the book. Like I have felt like I have been able to make those choices. Now the caveat here is, so the value is I was able to do that. Yeah. The caveat is that's an absolute choice that I was able to make because my podcast income does not pay our mortgage. And a lot of people do not have the ability to like take a break from their job to drive to volleyball. <laughs> like that's I that's a luxury that I got to choose. Uh, so I want to acknowledge that. And also, it's a luxury that I got to choose. So I made that choice. Well, the next category that I'll just fall into from that is money, is money, finances, wealth, even possessions, but those, those things. So when you look at that, you just said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take, I'm not going to speak for you, but you know, there you put relationship back to that category ahead of finances that matter uh, to that point. But so tell me with that money, finances, wealth, that today, as you look at the landscape of your life, what value or what the values are that you give to money and finances? I mean, money's important. It is. Uh, I happen to have a successful spouse. Again, that is a huge luxury. That is an enormous luxury. It allows me to pursue my passions. I blogged and you know, did a lot of things making zero dollars for many years because I was able to do that. I really wanted to be pursuing, uh, you know, this this career online and this work online. And it took me a long time before I actually made a decent amount of money doing that. And I, and I treated it like a full-time job. I was doing it for hours a day, making zero dollars. Again, I was able to do that because I had a partner that provided for our home and family life. Now that I'm in a different position, you know, that I, I do make a living with the work that I do, and I have a lot of pride in that. Like, I I feel like I worked for that, and I feel very lucky to have been able to do it. And I have had to constantly... Like in the years that I was working for free and then now the years that I'm not working for free, separate out the threads of money is not my worth, like on a soul level. And also money is a measure of some of this work that I'm doing. I can see that, you know, it's, it's working or it's resonating with the audience or it's high quality or any of those things that, that, um, you know, money is a measure. It's not a worth. It's a measure. 
and even in even in measuring it, it's not always 100% accurate. Right. So I've always tried to untangle those threads for myself. But I, I literally cannot talk about the money conversation without acknowledging that having a partner that provides for your family's basic needs changes the, this whole conversation. It, it's just impossible to talk about it without that because so many people can't afford to pursue a passion, even if it eventually makes money. It's just too long of a game. Yeah. Your statement of a measure reminds me of Rabbi Daniel Lappin, who uh, we had on the show a long time ago, but he talked about money being a certificate of appreciation. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. His book, Thou Shall Prosper, is his flagship book. I think he's written a bunch, but that's certificate of appreciation. We've always talked about that though. As you say, not always apples for apples. Somebody's out there who's doing great work giving great value and not receiving the certificates of appreciation in alignment with that. And that's, that's hard. Um, but in general to make money, look at it as a, a more valuable and altruistic, um, token, I guess, measurement, a certificate of appreciation. Uh, is sweet. You made me think about that. This last category, and it's interesting. I generally frame it around things that you do that are just for you, activities that are just for you, for Laura, that inspires you and are on a non-productive type bent that they aren't, you know, in and of themselves. And I wrote down though, cause you said it a while ago in reference to something else, non-transactional. Uh, you said the word transactional, that, kind of that. It's something that you are doing because it just lights you up, uh, fills you up. What fits under there? This is my favorite category. Okay, awesome. Of all of these. Uh, you know what? Awesome because it's often uh, the more lacking category for a lot of people. So interesting. Tell me. Oh, really? I have found these questions to be so hard. And this one, I'm so excited <laughs> No, this is, this is often a, uh, it's a, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of people have stuff, but there's a lot of folks, you know, even here on the show, just, they, they don't have a whole lot. They look at everything is, you know, they like their work, they like their family, but they don't really have some outside interest or whatnot. So please elaborate. I am a passionate reader. I read every single day. I mean, that is the one constant in my life. There are very few things that I do every single day. And I read a book. I read widely. I read fiction, nonfiction, self-help, audiobooks, on my Kindle, hard copy. Like I read every single day. It has shaped absolutely who I am as a person. It's changed my worldview. It's it is everything to me is reading. Like, I don't, what do I even classify it as? It's not even like a hobby. It's not even, it is like lifeblood to me to read. I read when I'm sad. I read when I'm joyful. I am sort of famous for setting a reading timer. I set a timer and read every single day. I saw that, a 20-minute timer, right? Yeah, I saw yes. that. Yeah. I'm really an evangelist for the 20-minute reading timer because I read so much. And I would also I would often like post online, you know, this is what I was reading, or I read this great book, or whatever. And people would 
constantly, especially this is in the mom space. People would be like, how do you have time to read? That's just the question that you get. And I was like, first of all, everyone has time to read. It does not require any different clothing changes. It doesn't require you be anywhere special. It doesn't anything. Set a timer for 20 minutes. Okay, now you're getting my speech, but I really care about this. Oh, yeah. Set a timer for 20 minutes and read something that you want to read for fun. It can be a trashy novel. It doesn't matter. Or it can be something that you are trying to learn from, so it feels more like a chore. It doesn't matter. The 20 minutes will get you through so many more pages than you think. Some of us, if you don't read very often, you think, well, I have to have like a whole afternoon to read, and I have to have a cup of tea, and I have to have a, you know, be on my couch. No. You can set your timer for 20 minutes. The average person, like reading at a a normal pace, like not super fast, not super slow, and and, in an average size book, at 20 minutes a day, you will get through a book every two weeks. So that's two books a month, 24 books a year, which is a lot more than, you know, most people read. And reading will change your life. I realized this when I set, I used to um, set a timer when I was breastfeeding. This is a crucial part of the story. (laughs) And, you know, you're sleep deprived with a new baby, you're hormonal, you're all the things. And I would set a timer when I was breastfeeding. And so I would read for 10 minutes each side or whatever I was doing. So I would read for 20 minutes. And I realized, that's when I realized, again, 13 years ago, how much you can actually read in 20 minutes. Mm. And so now... I do this every single day. I read 20 minutes in the morning. Sometimes if you have enough time, you'll keep reading because you're really into what you're reading. Sometimes you're like, ugh, glad the timer went off because it's a really dense read or you have a lot to do or whatever. But you got your 20 minutes in. Along with the journal parties that I do on Instagram, I also do reading parties on Instagram where I literally go live and set a reading timer and it's just silent. It's a Instagram live of just us silently reading together. Hundreds of people show up for these reading parties because they do not give themselves permission Mm. in other times to read for 20 minutes. But if they're like kind of going to an official thing where we're all going to read together, it's also fun and communal. Yeah. But like, then they, they feel like they're not wasting time or they, you know, aren't neglecting their family or their duties or whatever because they're at a quote unquote reading party. But without the reading parties, 20 minutes a day, I just, I challenge anybody to do it. It's, it's so good. Well, my thought on that is, yeah, especially with, and we all have our things, but to say you don't have time for it, God knows the amount of time that people put in on social media. That'd be a good time. You want to read, put a 20 minute timer on your Instagram or Facebook browsing. And when it goes off and shocks you, because it feels like it was a minute, then put the rest of the time into reading um, and you'll, we all have the time. Yeah. I, I never, I never miss uh, the things that I care most about. So, uh, so is that primary number one, non-transactional, non-productive inspire you is reading that paramount. Yeah, that's number one. I mean, we've talked about some of the other things. Journaling yeah. is, would also sort of fall into that category. Um but for me, I mean, if you ask my kids, if you ask my family, like the number one thing, I, there's a lot, I have a lot of things I'm interested in. I love fashion and style and skincare and makeup. These are all things I talk about a little bit 
online. But my the number one thing, like my great love story, besides my family, is my relationship to books. There's, I don't get on social media a whole lot. Um, when I do, I'll just, I'll do a Facebook scroll and just see if there's anybody that, like you talk about, I can like their thing or I can do whatever. But apparently I've clicked on stuff enough that a primary thing that comes up, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like a reading lovers type thing. And it's all these, you know, kind of funny memes about just the rush of buying another book, you know, and, and, and advocating buying too many books and living in a library and whatnot. So I feel you there. It's uh, my, I feel like everything I know I got from books. It wasn't, I hardly made it out of grade school and it was books, man, the doors they open up. So uh, I will check out your reading group and 20 minutes, man, I'm in. Uh, that's yeah. e- that's easy. Uh, let's do that. Uh, you know what? I will ask what's your latest, if you remember it, latest joy in a fiction book. Anything jump out? Oh, in a fiction book? Okay, well, this is actually a classic, and this is really heavy. So okay. I'm sorry to anyone who's looking for a fluffy read. Okay. <laughs> Go. For, I, I chose this book for my book club, and I was blown away by it. We read earlier this year Beloved by Toni Morrison. Okay. Okay, it's... It's heavy. I, I'm like literally not recommending this for anyone who hasn't, you know, read in a while and maybe needs to flex that muscle a little bit because it's a it's a difficult read, but it absolutely blew me away. I'm also currently reading. If you want something fluffier, probably not for you, but I am reading um, a novel called Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. I really love her writing. And it's a lot fluffier and fun. I mean, we could do books all day. We could just start part three and do books all day. Yeah, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be fun because I've gotten into, in, in latter years, fiction books. And I'm, I'm going, I'm kind of playing with all of them. Okay, uh, but wait, say, now you have to answer then. Oh, I know. I, the book I'm enamored with. So my brother turned me on to a, it's on Apple TV it was a show called Shantaram uh, about mm. a guy in, it's hard to even say it, but it, but it takes place in India, in Bombay. And uh, it was so good. They only did one series. It's some famous actor, Char- Charlie Hunnam or Human or Hunnam. I don't know. I think you'd recognize it. Anyways, it's a book. It's a true story. And uh, so it's not even fiction really, but it reads like a fiction book and it's huge and I absolutely love it. But I will say that before that I got turned on to Colleen Hoover. And oh so, no, you oh, did. Yeah, I did. I did, man. I, I don't even know. Somebody was talking about it. I was like, uh, no, I know I saw it and I pulled it up in Amazon and she has like 5 billion reviews. I was like, who the heck is this? I never heard of you. And, uh, I got, this is, uh, uh the Last of Us, is that her big one? I got that, and then I read that, and I'm probably on book eight. Um, I actually went, I do this a lot. If I get into an author, I want to go back to the beginning like, and read all their books up to it. And I went back to the beginning, and I think I read her very first book. I liked it. I think I'm on her second book, like she ever did. And I'm, eh, it's kind of so-so. I probably just need to get past it because the, the her recent, or the, that one, the it, it, it ends with us, and then it starts with us. 
And then there was another one. The first one I read, I can't remember what it was. Incredible. I thought I was just. Okay. So this is, she's a phenomenon of book talk, you know, books on TikTok and social media, which goes to a little bit of what we were talking about off mic about like selling books in this moment, you know, and I'm fascinated by how TikTok and social media have changed publishing and, and made older books really popular again, or, you know, really cracked off an author who wasn't getting traction otherwise. All these different stories about how social media affects the books that people buy um, as an author and then as an avid reader. I mean, that's a fa- it's a fascinating topic. It's really, really changing the industry, actually. And I feel like Colleen Hoover is like the the pillar example of that you know she's everywhere she's one of those people i can't i can't believe like i feel like i'm kind of out there amongst everything and then i i how did i miss her until a year less than a year ago or something like that it's amazing so yeah amazing writer so i was i was i was reading her stuff until i got interrupted with this latest one but uh, I, I will say this sh- Shantaram, I can't even remember the author's name. True story. It's unbelievable. The guy's heart. I, I want to I wanna see if I can find the guy. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. I'm going to go look that one up for sure. Yeah. I dig true stories uh, a lot. Hey, what a gift. Thank you. This is, we took up our full three hours and it's been just a gift. I could keep doing this. So um, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for your candor and humility and joy. And thank you for the time here. I'm so eager to give this, these shows to the audience, but as always, I am the greatest beneficiary. So Laura, it's been an honor. Thank you. This was so fun. The time flew by. I know we could keep talking forever. It was great. Yep. Well, friends, that was Laura Tremaine. Again, she's host of, and you go find this right now, wherever you listen to the podcast, 10 things to tell you really popular podcast and her new book, the life council, 10 friends, every woman needs. And I think every human needs. We'll continue this discussion on Laura folks. Thank you for tuning in to the self-helpful podcast where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends. My friends,